Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. So today we're looking at Genesis chapter 2. This is following Genesis chapter 1. If you are good with math and how those things work. Um, And so last week we covered uh, some kind of different views that Christians have in interpreting uh, Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to go into as much of that today with Genesis chapter 2. But here in Genesis chapter 2, it's continuing in uh, the the creation narrative of telling us what it is that God did and how he did it. And the first part actually picks up uh, right where last week left off. We got through six days of creation um, on uh, Genesis 1, and then we get to the seventh day here in Genesis 2. And then it goes on um, and gives us some more detail um, about things. Uh, some people uh, looking at it uh, want to say like, oh, well, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are two different stories or two different accounts or like they contradict each other. Um, and so we'll dig into that a little bit as we go through it today. Um, but my understanding, the way that I interpret it is after we get through talking about day 7, uh, what the rest of Genesis 2 is doing is going back and telling us more of what happened in those six days um, and how God created um, in those six days. So, uh, so let's jump in. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And what we're going to see through Genesis chapter 2 is five things that God said are good that we might not think are good. All right? Five things that God said were good that we might not think are good. Okay? And the first of those is right here. And the, the fact is, rest is good. Rest is good. And I know you're probably your first inclination is, well, yeah, obviously, right? Like, we, we got an extra hour last night. Like, <laughs> I feel great. Rest is a good thing. But I would make the argument that our culture does not value this to be true. All right? Um, and my proof for this is in the year 2021... So last year, Starbucks revenue was $29 billion. So they sold $29 billion worth of caffeine, which is a stimulant to help you because you do not rest enough. You say, well, Starbucks sells other stuff. Okay. Total coffee revenue for 2022 is expected to be $433 billion. $433 billion 
and stimulant to help you stay awake because you do not rest enough. And so while our culture might say, hey, what you need to be able to do is just go, 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 and just you know, hit, hit it with some caffeine when you need it, um, or just live off of the stuff, what God says is, worked for six days, rested for one. And he's God. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't wear out. But he said, hey, here's what's good. Yeah, we did work. Now we're going to rest. Rest is a good thing. And in fact, he goes on in the Ten Commandments. Um, this is where we get the fourth commandment. Is based on what God did. And to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. To have a day of rest. To have a day of rest in your week. Um, and that's in Exodus 20, if you want to look at it. Um, and to be clear on this, like, we, we can go both ways on this thing, okay? So you can go one way, and you're like, yeah, I don't really need to listen to that. You can go the other way, and you can get really, really legalistic about this is the seventh day. We can't do anything on the seventh day, right? And that's what Jesus encountered when he walked the earth, right? Because the Pharisees were coming along, and they were saying, hey, what are you doing? You can't heal people on the Sabbath, right? Like, how dare you? That's work. How dare you work on the Sabbath day by healing people, right? And Jesus had plenty to say to them about that. Um, and so we can see the danger of going all the way to where we're, we have to have this, like, real legalistic um, ritual around one day of the week. Um, and in fact, it, it is also true that in the New Testament, the only of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated as a, a command, as a direction for us, is this one, is the fourth one, um, to, to, to keep the Sabbath. Um, part of that, I think, is the, the shift that Christians made in early Christianity where no longer uh, is our day of worship uh, Saturday, which is the seventh day of the week, but instead it's Sunday, the first day of the week. Does anybody know why we made that shift? Yeah, exactly. So that is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, and so as Christians, we say, hey, here's, here's where our rest is. Our rest is in Jesus. Jesus is our rest. He is the one uh, through which that, that we find genuine rest, genuine peace with God, genuine ability to rest and to relax and to lay, just lay it all at his feet. Because he took care of all of it on the cross. He died for our sins, paying the punishment for our sins, and he rose again three days later. And so as Christians, that's where our hope is found. That's where our peace is found. That's where our rest is found. Jesus says, and, and they may enter my rest. Right? Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that we can just throw away what God says is good. Because before sin, before the fall, before any of that came into the world, before Jesus had to deal with any of that, you know what he said was good? Rest. And so if you're not finding time for your body to adequately rest and to relax and to enjoy your creator, then there's a problem and your life is going to be out of balance. And that's what sin does is it brings lack of balance. It brings all of these things um, and distorts them. So you need to have a regular and systematic rest built into your life 
but we're not saying that that has to be a legalistic seventh day of the week. You can't do anything, okay? So, so deal with that on your own. Figure out what that means for you. And we're going to keep going here in Genesis 2. Verse 4, it says this. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field has yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. And when the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Now, you might can see why some people would say, oh, this is, this is a different account. This is a different thing than Genesis 1, because it's just talking about like, oh, well, God just kind of did all this. Well, all of this neatly fits into what he said in Genesis 1 of how, how he did it. Um, and it also, uh, right here with it what, it, what did Genesis 1 say? How did it end? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Genesis 1, he's given the command to fill the earth. And so if in Genesis 2, it's talking about the fact that the earth isn't full yet, that shouldn't throw us for a loop. All right? Like it's, yeah, fill the earth. Well, obviously it's not full yet. Okay? Um, So there's that. Uh, But the thing that is good here, the thing that, that we can see is good in the Lord God Formed the man of dust to the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Second thing that is good in Genesis 2, life is good. Life is a good thing. And you might say, well, I don't know. Life is another of those good things that has been distorted and messed up by sin, obviously. But if you ever get into that negative mindset and that negative way of thinking that life is not good, that it's not worth living, that it's not worth it, know this. God who created it, God who breathed life into man said it is a good thing. And so if you are ever dealing with that kind of self-doubt or that kind of struggle in your life and you think your situation is so bad that it's, it's not worth living, know that your creator put that life in you and he wants you to have it and to hold on to it and to not take it for granted. Life is a good thing. And so going on here, not only is life good, but it goes on, it says this, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made a spring up to every tree that is pleasant to the side and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so here's what the way God designed it. He put man here in this garden with the tree of life. What is the tree of life? Tree of life is the tree from which when you eat of it, you live forever. You do not die. You do not have sickness. You do not have pain. It is the tree of life. Its name is pretty self-explanatory. But it is the tree of eternal life if you have that tree. And God is saying, hey, this is a good thing. 
And the good thing is we're looking at the beginning of things right here in Genesis. But if you look at the end of things in Revelation, in Revelation 22, we see this tree of life show up again. In Revelation 22, it starts like this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and the servants will worship him. And in verse 14, it says this, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. And you see, the, going to the bookends of the Bible here, we can see this tree of life being a good thing. And we're caught in the middle between when, when God created it in Genesis 2 and he said it was good. And then mankind corrupts everything in Genesis 3. You can look forward to that in the coming weeks. Um, and then we're living in that now. But what we have to look forward to in the future is this future in which we are restored to the tree of life. Where life is truly good. All of the sin is dealt with. All of it is taken away. Jesus has nailed all of that to the cross. He died for it, dealt with it, paid the price. And those who believe in him, those who, who ask him to be their Lord and Savior, those who give their lives to Jesus, in the end, we get welcomed in and brought back to the tree of life. We're restored to a place where we can take of that tree and we can eat. And so I want to ask you, do you have that hope? Do you have that assurance that, that you can look forward to eating of that tree? That your Savior has washed your robes as white as snow. That he has cleaned them for you by what he did on the cross. Because in that we find our hope. Because life is good, but eternal life is even better. And that's what we have to look forward to. And that's originally what Adam was built and born into. Not really born, he was made. So, you guys ever heard the joke about uh, how we're going to know Adam and Eve in heaven? They're the two without belly buttons. So, <laughs> you're, you're welcome for that. Some of you, your parents can explain that to you later. So. Genesis 2:10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the the Pishon. The Pishon. Um, it came one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. And bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of the Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. 
Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground of the Lord, God made, had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. So, the next thing we can see here is what man was created for. Uh, we already saw that in a little bit in the verses before this, and then in these verses we, we see um, his first assignment. But man was created for work. So yes, rest is a good thing, but work is also a good thing. Work is good. Um, and you might say, well, I don't agree with that at all, Wayne. And <laughs> yes, after the fall, work has gotten a lot harder. It's, it's a nasty thing now. Like it, it can be painful. That's what the consequences of the fall are. But what we can know for sure is that from the beginning, God designed us and we're created to be people who work. Man was, was created to be an instrument of work. He was put in the garden to tend and take care of the garden. He had a job to do. And his first job, his first assignment here is he names all the animals. I mean, this is a full day, full day's work right here, right? Um, and this, as I said, was one of the good arguments against uh, a literal interpretation of Genesis is how realistic is it that, that one guy could name every animal um, in a 24-hour period. And that's a good argument uh, for uh, more of a, a day-age view or something like that, that, that interpretation of Genesis 1 and 2. Um, but I, here's my, my answer uh, to that. All right, we're going to do a test. Okay, I'm going to hold something up, and I want you to tell me what it is. Ready? All right, so that took about a second. Okay, all right. So now we have Adam um, in the garden, and we have God bringing him the animals he's made out of the ground. So it's not that Adam's having to chase them all over the earth um, to find these different animals to give them names. Uh, what it says is God brought them to him. And it doesn't say that he had like a long conversation with each animal or, he, you, know, you know, he got to know all of their feelings or all of that. Um, it also, and it talks about in Genesis 1 and 2, when it talks about the animals, it talks about them by their kinds, right? Um, so certain kinds of animals. So I don't think when, when Adam was naming animals that he had to name a wolf and a Pomeranian, Okay. Uh, like, I, I think there was a canine there. And whatever language he was using, he gave a word to that group of animals. And out of that group of animals, we have all the different ones today, okay? So, uh, so that, that also brings our number down on how many animals we're naming, um, right? If you, can, if you can go there with me. Um, uh, I, I love this when I was in Indonesia um, on a mission trip. Uh, we... Uh, they were very hospitable uh, to us, and every meal we were at someone's house, and they made us the best fish dish that they could make, because that's what you eat in Indonesia is fish. Um, and so I'd always ask the host, I was like, what kind of fish is this? And they would either say, lake fish or ocean fish. <laughs> there are two kinds of fish in Indonesia. You got the ones from the lake, and you got the ones from the ocean. It doesn't matter beyond that, all right? 
Um, and it works for them, right? And they have those classifications of all fish. And I'll tell you, none of those fish look the same, even though they were all called the same thing. So, um, so I, I say that to say we can get a little nitpicky on how many animals uh, Adam had to name. But as we just saw, you all could name my phone in one second. Um, well, let's give Adam 10 seconds uh, per animal, okay? Let's give, it, give, it, give him a buffer, all right? Uh, so if it took him 10 seconds per animal... Well, in a 10-hour workday, he could name 3,600 kinds of animals, all right? So I think that's possible that Adam named the animals in one day, okay? So that's not a deal breaker to me that uh, we can't be a literal 24-hour day. Um, But like I said last week, we need grace in these things, and if you have a different opinion, that is quite all right. So... um, Let's move on. Point is, we're made to work, and Adam started that work. Um, but as he did this work, he had, you, you already see here, there's God, there's Adam, there's the animals, and they're all different. And as he's doing this, he, we see this, that, that the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Um, And then it goes on here in verse 20. We'll pick up again. And the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens and the earth and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so we see here that we have God, we have man, we have woman, we have animals, and they're all different. And that's a good thing. They have different roles, different functions as God created them. Man is created to work. Woman is created to help. Exactly what all that means before the fall, I don't know. This is all we have before the fall about what that meant. Equally, we do see in Genesis 1, let's go back to Genesis uh, 127. Um, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So it is clear from Genesis 1 that both man and woman are made in the image of God. Genesis 2, it's clear that woman has a very special creation. How was everything else created? Out of dirt. Guys, we're just a bunch of dirt bags (laughs) that God breathed life into. All right? And then woman, what is she made out of? She's made out of the side, out of the rib of the man. A special creation, a special thing that God did. Extra time, extra attention, extra detail. And we can look around and we say, yes, he did a good job of that, right? And so, so we see that these, these two are created different. Men and women are created different. I know this is like very controversial in our world today. 
Whereas, like, traditionally, this is like common sense. But men and women are created different with different roles, different purposes, and that's a good thing. Created even in different ways, and that is good. It goes on, and it says this in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And so the next thing we see is marriage. Marriage is a good thing. Marriage is instituted before sin enters the world. God said it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, I was single until I was 30. Um, and I remember at one point this, you know how certain just like situations, conversations just kind of stick in your head. Um, this one time a guy from my church was over at my house for something and uh, my dogs were running around and he goes, man, Wayne, I'm, I'm so glad you got your dogs because, you know, the Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> I was like, have you read that passage? Like, that's the exact thing it's talking about, right? Like, the animals aren't, like, animals are great, but they're, it's not the same thing, right? Like, it's, it's yeah, and uh, so I just kind of looked at him, and I was like, what? But anyway, um, and so I was just, I just want to say that, yes, marriage is a good thing. It's another thing that because of the distortion of sin, because of the distortion of the fall, it can be a hard thing. And many of us either in marriage, in a relationship ourselves, or maybe from our parents or whatever, we have an, a bad taste in our mouth from marriage because we've seen the way that sin can corrupt it and the way that sin can mess it up. But I want to tell you that what God created was good. And he said it's a good thing for man and woman to be together. For them to be, become one. You know what that is? That's sex. So sex is a good thing. In marriage, the way God created it to be. It's a good thing. And so we see all of this being here. And I want to say too, as I just said, you know, I was single till I was 30. And so I, I sat through plenty of sermons like this. And I, I can... Uh, my heart goes out to, like, I, I'm with you to our single people in our congregation, is what I'm saying. Um, because it's easy in these kind of passages and these kind of sermons um, to make it seem like, or, or even get that feeling in yourself of like, well, well, if marriage is so good, what's wrong with me, right? Or, or why, why don't I have that in my life? Um, or... Uh, in the Christian community, we can almost paint our single brothers and sisters um, as a less than in the community, um, which is wrong, right? And so if, if that is you, hear me say, you are greatly valued and you are not alone. That is what the Christian community is here for, is we're here for you, we're here for each other. And so, um, so to our, our singles within our congregation, you're not alone. It is not good for you to be alone, and you should not be alone, and you should not feel alone. You should have your church family around you. You should have those relationships. It's not the same as a marriage relationship, but you should have those relationships. 
And if we look at this from a totality of Scripture, Scripture also makes it clear that for some people, it is God's plan, at least for a season, for a time, to be single so that you can focus on serving him better. Paul said, I I wish more of you could be like me. He's like, "I, I can go wherever I want. I can do whatever I want. You know what that means? God says, go over there. I just pick up and I just walk over there, right? Like, I don't have to worry about a family. I don't have to worry about kids. And, you know, I don't got to worry about all of their logistics. Like, we can just, I can just go advance the kingdom wherever God points me and wherever he wants me to go. And so as a single, you have a lot of freedom in that. And that might be God's plan for you for this time, for this season. And I know many of you, and I know you're in that season, but you're also saying, I I do not feel called to this long term. And that's okay. That's good to be honest. It's a good thing that you're longing for. It's a good thing that you're desiring in marriage because marriage is a good thing. Now, to our married people, you might be experiencing how bad you can mess this thing up. (laughs) And you know what messes up what God made good? Sin. You know who brought sin into the relationship? You. So what can you do in the relationship, in the situation to deal with the sin? Yes, the other person brings sin in too, but you bring sin in too. And so what is there that you're responsible for that that maybe you've brought into the relationship that you can deal with, that you can try to make better? To try to restore back to what God said is good. As God said, marriage is a good thing. And to those of you in here who are living in the married life and you're experiencing the goodness of it right now, I want to ask you, who are you taking that wisdom that you've accrued over the years and pouring it into about this is how you have a happy marriage? This is how you work through these things. This is how you, you, you bring these things back together. This is how you forgive. This is how you restore. Who is there that you're pouring that into from your wealth of knowledge and your wisdom that you can give that into somebody else's life? Because our church needs it. Our church family, our body needs it. Our community needs it. We need healthy models of what God designed marriage to be. And so, marriage is a good thing. So that's Genesis 2 for you today. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Please reveal yourself.